Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week we went over that everyone was gathered for Pentecost, about 120 men and women were all in one place getting along. And, you know, it was pretty much a Jewish crowd at this point. And, and that'll slowly start to change uh, over time. But it's pretty much a Jewish crowd here. And uh, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they started speaking in many different languages. And, and we're not talking about the, with the typical term that we use for tongues. Uh, this right here, when it says speaking in tongues, they were speaking in tongues of the earthly languages to other people that, that could understand it. Uh, languages from different parts of the world and and Peter just steps up uh, you know steps forward and and starts preaching and they come to know Jesus and the miracles that started happening you know it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny because miracles bring people toward towards something they're sitting there going, I don't know what's going on over there, so let me go find out. And we see this in, in places like India, and um, there was a couple of stories I thought about telling, but I'm not going not to not gonna really get to today. But in India, some of the miracles that are happening, it draws the crowd, and it's not about the miracle. But they use the miracle to turn around and teach about Jesus, the one who could perform the miracle. And this is basically what's going, uh, going on. There's miracles that are happening, and the crowd is drawn toward that, and Peter steps up and tells them about Jesus. Now, as we get into the chapter 3 and 4, we'll see di- two different types of, uh, of, of groups. One group that is ready to hear about the Lord and ready to be drawn to the Lord, and one group that, that really is not ready at all. But in chapter 2, Peter tells them the truth. And he tells them, guys, you need to repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's very direct to them. And in verse 41, we saw that over 3,000 people uh, in that one day were baptized. And what a miracle that would be. You know, I've been at times where we've gone out to the lake and we're baptizing like 150 people. Uh, really cool. I could not imagine 3,000 people. I mean, that, that just would just totally blow my mind. Well, let's get into the uh, verse 42 today. Verse 42 through 47 is the definition of everything the Lord is doing among them. And it's a really a cool time. And Luke wasn't there, so he's going out and he's interviewing everybody and going, Hey, tell me what happened here. And he's writing it down. And they were just really just kind of gushing all over this. They were sitting there going, Man, and this was going on and that was going on. And, and they're very just, you know, they were just very pleased with this time. Verse 42 it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an exciting time this had to be for them. 
The Lord did a lot through them. And, you know, and I came up with about 16 different dynamics that were going on at this point in this group. And if you're taking notes, we're going to go over several of them. Don't worry, I'm not going to do all 16 of them. I'm just not your three-point sermon type of guy, much less 16 points. You know, I just ramble on instead, you know. But if we could look at these things and say, if I'm a part of Valley Christian Church, do I do these things? Am I a part of these things? Do I need to start doing these things? Because we should be experiencing some of what they experience. Now, again, they have the, you know, the Holy Spirit just overwhelmed them at this point. So it is a little different, but at the same time, we can look at those things and say, am I doing some of these things? Uh, you know, at the very beginning, what does it say? They devoted themselves. That means they were together. They continued to fellowship. They can continue to hang out, continue to get to know each other. And what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the teaching and the fellowship. It's very important. The teaching and the fellowship. Now, the New Testament has not been written yet. And, and some of these guys were sitting there, and they were the ones that were going to be writing it. They just didn't know it yet. And through the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they, will, they were able to change the world. Imagine what we could accomplish through the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and within this church. Imagine what we could do. And if we could just get, get along long enough for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Now Paul says later on, he says, No eye has seen No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. He says that to the Corinthians. Do you love God? If you love God, then you have no idea what He has in mind for you, what He's prepared for you. If you will just go His direction, just go down His path, it's amazing what He can accomplish through you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love Him. They're very good plans. Not plans plans that will harm you, but plans that will give you a future and give you a hope. What goes on here in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And the word here is koinonia, that deep love of, of Christ for one another to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They love to eat together. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, I love to eat. I love to eat together. I love to hang out. I love to do those things. And this is exactly what they were doing. I think, you know, growing up Southern Baptist, we, we had a you know, potluck every other week. And it was always fried something, fried this, fried that. So, hey, we, we were happy. But it's true. The breaking bread together is important. The first thing that we will do when we return to, or after the return of Christ, when we go to heaven to be with Him, is what? We're going to have a humongous feast. That's what the Word of God says. What is it about sitting around a table and eating together that changes us? It breaks down the walls. It breaks down those barriers that we put up between each other. In the Middle Eastern culture, you eat a meal with somebody, it means something. It means a lot. And if you refuse to eat with somebody, you're refusing the koinonia. You're refusing to be together. That means also, no, I can't eat with you. We're not friends. It means something. So if the things are going bad between you and someone, sit down and have a meal. Plan it out and, and, and talk it over, you know, over this kind of fellowship. 
I know uh, uh, when I was young in ministry, and I know some of you are going, you're still young in ministry. Well, I turned 40, so now I can start feeling like I'm a little older. But when I was really young in ministry, there was an associate pastor and I that just, uh, our way of thinking about ministry was, was just two different, he was the three-point sermon type of guy. And I'm like the, I'm the total opposite of him in, in the type of ministries that we did. And we would just, we would just butt heads. And our senior pastor finally said, you know what, guys, for the next several months, you, you're going to lunch once a week. And by doing that, it started changing our attitudes about each other because we started spending time and started seeing the heart of each other. He just did ministry differently than I did. It wasn't that, that his thoughts were wrong. He just did it different than I am. And I did it different from him, from him. And that was a good thing to come together like that. Really, there, there are two beautiful Greek words here in this passage. Koinonia is the one that I just explained to you, the sharing of ourselves with one another and those around us, you know, all centered around Jesus. The other group, uh, the the other Greek word here is so powerful. It's the word charis or or, or charis. It's a root word for charismatic. Now we have certain connotations for that word in today's language, but it means favor or gift or grace is what we have with one another. Jerusalem was watching these guys. And I'm sure many of them were saying, man, I, I don't believe in their Jesus. But these are some incredible, incredible people. Incredible people. And many came to believe because of them. Remember, Jesus said what? You will be my witnesses. Jesus didn't say, you will go witnessing. You will go take a witnessing class. And you'll learn the three or four steps of witnessing. You'll learn the Roman road. You'll learn all these church terms that we put out. And then you will go witnessing. No, no, no. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And the way these guys were witnessing started in Acts 2. And at the end of Acts, their lives were preaching. Not their words. Not their being up front. Their lives were preaching. Their actions how they dealt with one another, how they dealt with co-workers, how they dealt with family, how they dealt with, with life. That was what was preaching. You know, it doesn't matter how, how dramatic we are in worship. It doesn't matter if we're laid back in worship. What does Paul say? The Apostle Paul said, Though I do all these great things, if I have not what, it means nothing. I have not love. We can do wondrous things, but without love, and that starts with one another. Without that, it all means nothing. Well, Pastor Allen, I mean, it was really easy for, for these guys really to love each other. I mean, they're all getting along. No, 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 no. Wait a second. It wasn't like that. Think about who these people are. Peter was not easy to love. Peter, the, the, the know-it-all, the one who always stuck his foot in his mouth. No. And then you have the sons of thunder, James and John, and all the other personalities. You tell me 12 guys to get together, and tell me you're not going to have problems with 12 men. Well, I mean, we're all right, aren't we? I think I'm right. You think you're right. You think you're right. You're, you, you see what I'm saying here? They have the same issues that we have. They have personalities, and they're still able through Christ to get along. Mary and Martha couldn't even get along with each other without the Lord being in the middle. 
without the Holy Spirit, without the oil, in a sense, of the Holy Spirit to stop the friction. Oil allows things to, to work together in an engine. The Holy Spirit allows things to work together that would normally sit there and hit and rub and break and burn up. But that oil of the Holy Spirit allows it to work together. They also prayed together. You know, it's really hard not to get along with somebody that you pray with. Have you ever tried that? It's really hard not to get along with somebody you've prayed with because you hear their heart also. And you come to understand that they love the Lord just as much as you do. So if you're having problems with someone, or you don't like someone, oh, come on, Pastor, we're all Christians. We don't dislike people. Give me a break. What you need to do is pray for them. And not, Lord, will you change this about them? That's, don't we love to do that? Lord, this is the issue that they have in their life, so let me tell you how to change them. No, ask the Lord to bless them. Ask the Lord to bless your relationship with them. And then He'll start to soften your heart toward them. And you will start to love them for who God has made them, not what you want them to be. You know, I think the biggest barriers to friendships is one thing. We want to turn people in what we, into what we think they should be. Well, yeah, I like them, but they should be like this. And if I could just get them to be like this, then we could be friends. That's how we, we typically think. And if we can't, well... Well, verse 43, it goes on, it says, Everyone was filled with awe. And the word awe is also the word for fear in the Greek. And it, and it became a, a controlling factor, not a fear of, of, oh, I'm afraid of being afraid, but the fear of the thought that they would offend the Lord. It allowed them to be cautious. It's a lot like a marriage. The last thing I would want to do is to hurt my wife. So I have this healthy fear of going, I need to be cautious in how I think, how I act, the things that I, I do, the things that I say, because I w- w- wouldn't want to hurt her. That's a healthy fear in a marriage. We ought to have that same fear with the Lord. It keeps our relationship strong. I don't want to offend my Lord, so therefore I'm cautious in where my feet go. I'm cautious in what my hands do. I'm cautious in what my eyes see. You know, having a kid is very interesting because you start looking at TV, and I have my child there, and I hear a word on TV, and I'm like, oh, no, we've got to close his ears. No, we've got to turn off the TV. We think, oh, no, we've got to take the kid and he shouldn't be in the room. No, we've got to watch what we do. It's the same thing, that healthy fear. The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. That's what the Psalms say. So, verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good goods they gave to anyone as he had need now this is as much of a miracle as any healing that happened during this time that people would let go of their hard-earned dollars and share with others and this is one of the things that we try to do around here if we find that there is a need we try to meet that need now we can't always meet that need we can't always do everything 
But we try to meet that need because you know, one, of our, one of our philosophies, if we can't help each other, we might as well lock up the doors and close up. So if you find yourself in a, in a need, come and talk to us and we'll see what we can do. There's some generous people out here. There really are. Now, does that mean, oh, you need a new roof? We're going to be able to re-roof your house? I don't know. But I'm just saying that the Lord can help meet your needs through this group of people because we are a generous group. If you know a need, I want you to do a couple of things. One, write it down and give it to us. But before you hand it to us, pray this one thing. Lord, how do you want me to help in this need? Because so often we're going to go, oh, so-and-so needs a need, and then we walk away. And it's like the Lord may be telling you that because he may want you to help out in some way. We have to start doing this. Now, we also have needs around the church. One of the things that we're starting to do, and, and Roger is going to help us out with this. Roger's kind of coming on board and being in charge of our facilities, uh, uh, which will relieve me from having to think about some of those things. We're going to put together project boards. We're going to have a project board out there, and, and you know, room number one needs new lighting or it needs this done or that done. We're going to put that down on a, neat, you know, on a little card. We're going to set it up there, and you come by and you read it and go, hey, I can help out with that. You take the card. Write your name and say, I can either do it or I can help you out with a check. And you turn it in, and then we actually go and do that project. That's the way that we're going to start trying to handle some of the needs around here. So if you feel like you want to help out, pick up one of those cards when we finally get out there. Trying to meet the needs of each other and the church. Verse 45, it goes on and says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Now, what is neat is that they, they're still going to temple. They haven't abandoned their faith. Just because they were Jewish and now they believe in Christ, it's not like they said, well, forget it. No, they were still going to temple. They're still Jewish, but they're not sacrificing animals anymore. Jesus was their final sacrifice. Temple was much more than just worship. And for of all worship and prayer, and, and, and you had two sacrifices a day up until A.D. 70 when the, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. But after worship was over, they would gather, and i got four pictures here, and they would go out and they would grab the Torah. And we still see this today. In fact, the, 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 what you're seeing there is the western wall, and, and the wooden cabinet there holds the Torah, which are the, five, the first five books of the Bible. We, we put them all together for us, for them, the first five books, that is their, their Bible for them. And they're sitting there reading them. And they're praying about them. And they're talking about what it means. And they're discussing it in that, in that little kind of silver thing is where they, they put the Torah there. And they gather together and they read and they talk and they discuss and they pray about it. Like we do in Sunday school. Like we do on Sundays. Like we're doing right here. Dissecting the word, going, what does this mean? That's what they were doing. And that's what the, the first Christians were doing. And they were going and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And saying, let me show you in the Torah where it points toward Christ. That's what they were doing. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The word sincere here is not the same word as we, we, we learned in Philippians. And Philippians, sincere was sincere, which means without wax. This is a little, little different type of word here. It's, um, oh, I'm going to try to say this. 
I'm not going to try to say this. Okay, I'll say it. It's a-falatas or falateos. A-falateos. A means not, and falateos means to stub the toe. So it means not to stub one's toe. When you read it slowly, it says, they ate food and did not stub their toe. That's what it says. And what they mean here is that they didn't cause each other to stumble. Through their language, through what they were eating. They didn't go out and eat, eat stuff that was sacrificed to other gods here at the very beginning. And, and you get in Corinthians and we talk about that later when we study Corinthians. But, but they tried not to stumble one at each other. They tried not to be you know, a barrier between, man, I wish you hadn't have done that. Because I mean, you're a Christian and, and you say you follow God. But, but what your actions, they tried to be Christ-like so they didn't, didn't get in between that relationship between somebody else and God. You know, this is so rare for 120 of them. But now, over 3,000 of them, and the Lord's totally still blessing them. And they're trying not to cause each other to stumble. 47, it says, praising God and enjoying the, the, the karos, or the, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number, so da- is, uh, number daily, those who are being saved. This is so cool. It just really is. I mean, you sit down and you think about what the Lord can do when the people follow Him. It's just an amazing process. Let's jump into chapter 3 here. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. Now, there's a miracle right there. Because, you know, it's always fun who the Lord partners you up with, right? Peter and John, I mean, you're sitting there going... Lord, you, you have me in there with them? I mean, Lord, you, you want me to do this, but you want me to do it with them? Yeah, exactly. And the Lord does this to, you know, to us to, to make us pray more sometimes, I think. I mean, Peter and John, you have the dreamer and you have a, the doer. You have the guy that, that is just, you know, just give me the five points, give me the five things I need to do, make my list, and I'm going to do it. That, that was Peter. And then you have John. It's over here just talking about the mystical wonders of the Lord. And, and Peter's kind of dragging, John, we've we got a schedule. Come on. we got to get there. The dreamer and the doer together. It's kind of funny, you know. They were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, this is very interesting. You have this lame man who's been lame for over four, or right at 40 years. Luke tells us in the Greek uh, later on the medical condition here that his joints were all dislocated like he had no ligaments. That's exactly what, what Luke calls it later on. You know, he's a child that a doctor might say, you know, he'll never walk. Or, you know, He'll never have a normal life. You might consider an abortion here. That's what a modern day doctor would say. You know, when Lisa and I were uh, having all the tests ran and stuff, they said, well, do you want to do, you know, you're you're a little older, do you want to do the amniocentesis? And we're like, no. We kind of talked and read about that and said, no. Well, we can do some other tests. And she goes, okay. And we made sure, we made clear, you know, whatever the results come back from that test, we're having this child. That's the way we felt. Now, if the test told us one thing, then we could prepare. You know, if it was Down syndrome or something like that, we could, we could hopefully prepare for that. 
But we were going to have this child. We're here. This is, you know, life is precious. The glory of God would not have been revealed here if this man was not alive. Such an important thing we need to start coming against. We should not be playing God. And I don't understand why God allowed this man to be lame for 40 years. But you know what? It's not for me to know. What I do know is that the glory of God would not be revealed had it not been for this man's handicap. And some people are offended by that word. I don't know what else to call it. The man couldn't walk. But yet the glory of God is is able to be revealed. It's important for us to view life as precious. And what each one of us can bring to, to the glory of God. A man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those or from those going into the temple courts. Now this is interesting. Because as I read this, I was kind of reminded, this is the best that religion can do. Right here. This is it. It's a good religion, but it's the best that it can do. Good religion can build a beautiful gate. And we'll talk about that, and we'll show you some pictures here in a second. And a a good religion can bring a, a group of guys together and say, we will carry you every day down to that gate called beautiful. Every morning, carry him to the gate. The guy can't go any further because you can't go into that gate unless you were clean, unless you went through the the mikvah, the, the ritual baths to clean yourself before you go to the Lord. And they would set him down. And a religion allows this guy to sit at that gate and beg for money. This is all religion can do. Even good religion, you see the best of it right here. This man needed something beyond good religion. And it's very important for us to see the power of God, to use good religion, but to take it further. Here's a guy at the gate of the temple. And right here is the, 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 you know, from the Mount of Olives, the view of the, of the Temple Mount, what we call today. And you see the Dome of the Rock that the Muslims built uh, right there. Um, and I have some pictures that are very interesting of, of that dome and stuff. But, but you, you see the tree kind of on the bottom. And then right there on the right, you see the big long wall. And right to the right of that tree, you kind of see a little outcropping of that wall. It has two gates. That's the modern version that was built uh, later on as the ground because uh, we kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that was built like that. No, no, no. All that land that's right there against that wall was down about another 40 to 60 feet. So the first gate, the gate beautiful, would have been a lot further down. And as, you know, if armies come in and stuff was thrown off the top of the temple and stuff, the ground got built up and they would just knock a hole in the wall and put another gate. So that's the modern gate right there. What they think it looked like back then, and this is kind of a, a, a closed-in shot right where that gate is, is a, is a one gate there, and it was a beautiful gate. It was inlaid with, with bronze or gold. They're not really sure, but, but the Romans melted it down and stole all, the, you know, stole all the precious metal and stuff when they destroyed the temple. But they think that's what it looked like. It is on the east side, and, you know, and, and Josephus wrote about it, that this was the most beautiful gate, and it was called the Gate, be- gate Beautiful. And it led to the women's court. Men could also enter this, but mostly women entered here. So you can understand why the man, the crippled man, would want to be put right here. Typically, in general, 
Who is more compassionate, men or women? Women are, right? Is everybody asleep? Okay, good, good. Women are typically more compassionate. They see this crippled man, they're going to want to help him more. So, I, you know, if I was in his situation, I'd want to be at that gate. I wouldn't want to be at the other gate. Not where the men walk by and go, oh, whatever, and just keep walking. Now, in general, not always, okay? We have some generous men here, too. But a plaque would be put on this wall that said Gentiles could not enter here. And Roman law literally allowed the Jews to stone to death a Gentile who entered into the court from this gate. And later on, to really hack off the Jews, what did the Romans do? They sent the Roman legion right through this gate. So Peter and John are entering where this man cannot go. And they say, or it says here, when, Peter, when, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, just like he did hundreds of times each day. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. They, then Peter said, look at us. So the man's just kind of like, you know, got his head down. And, and you know, I always think of the Robin Hood movie, you know, where, where the, the poor are there and they're going alms for the poor and they got their heads down because you can't look up at the royalty. In a sense, that's what this man feels like. I'm not as good as everybody else because I'm crippled and he's not really looking at the people. So Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, what was he expecting? Money. Yeah. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. And I'm sure the guy just kind of rolled his eyes at that point. But what I have to give you. I can imagine the guy going, what, you got a donkey or something you're going to give me? What are you going to give me? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. This is what they have? This is it? But this turned out to be the greatest thing for this man's life. Now, this is not a magic formula. You will see this, you know, you will see them say, in the name of Jesus, a lot. But it's not a magic formula. You know, I, you know, I said in the name of Jesus. No. It says here, it is the authority of Jesus. This is the translation. In the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He got his ligaments and his strength, you know, his muscles strengthened. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, this is a second miracle as I started thinking about this. Think about this for a second. What do you mean, second miracle? Well, he was healed. That was the first miracle. And then he began to walk. Forty years this man has never walked. As a baby, they never held him by his hands to get him up on his feet. He never learned how to walk. For him to know how to walk, for him to balance himself, that's the second miracle here. Now, he was walking, and he was leaping. He was chewing gum all at the same time. I mean, he was just going for it. And he's headed inside for the first time. Just when they were hushing everybody for the second sacrifice, because they would have two sacrifices a day, they had two worship services. And a worship service, what do you do? When the music stops and everybody gets quiet, you quiet down when the priest comes up, right? Same concept here. Everybody was quieting down. And this guy comes running, Woo! I can run! I can walk! He's just leaping around. He's having a blast. It's the first time he's ever been able to do this. 
Then he went up to, he went up to them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He's screaming his head off. Think about it. Do you think he'd come in and said, it's me. If you talk to me, I'll explain what happened. No. He's freaking out. He's jumping and screaming and having a blast. They're like, hey, dude, man, you need to calm down. Don't go in the Holy of Holies. He's going, I heard the temple, I heard the curtain was torn. We can go in there now. You know, I mean, he's just, he's just having a blast. I just might go in there. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is such a cool thing. Now, this reminded me of, of one of the stories my pastor told me about his time in India. All the missionaries w- would write in, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before, and they would write in every few months to, to uh, the headquarters, and the guys would sit down and they would translate them, because there's all these different dialects in India, and they would translate them into English, uh, and my pastor was sitting there with the translator. And the pastor wrote in, and the guy's name was Peter John. That's his Christian name. He was Hindu. When he became a Christian, he changed his name and he decided to go Peter John, which was kind of cool with this story because it reminded me of this. And he was preaching on the corner of the street and his whole family came by with a boy in his arms. Just came from the doctors and the boy's stomach was, had shut down completely. I mean completely. And the doctors literally had given up and basically said, you need to take your boy home to die. You know, and, and over here in America, you stay in the hospital and do that. For them, they just go, we can't do anything else. Go home. So they were taking their boy home. And the Holy Spirit prompted him to call out to this family as he came by. And he said, what is wrong with that boy? Jesus can heal that boy. And they said, does it cost anything? And Peter John laid his hands on that boy. And by that evening... The boy was eating. This is what he wrote in about. And the prayer he prayed started out by the authority of Jesus Christ. Those words still have power today. His authority is still in effect today. And the reaction to this boy being healed was the same reaction for this man. They were astonished, and they wanted to know how it happened. Now, he goes on to write, and I'm not going to tell you all the other ins and outs, but literally, the doctors started following him around town. Tell us how you really did it. Tell us how you really did it. And the people were gathered, tell us how you did this. And he could only say, by the authority of the man I know of that saved me, Jesus Christ. Well, verse 11, it says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, All the people were astonished and came running to them at a place called Solomon's Colonnade. So up on top of the Temple Mount, and again, this is a replica of what they think it looked like at the time. Over on the left-hand side, there's a whole bunch of columns. You kind of get that upper deck there and the whole bunch of columns. This is where all the banking stuff happened. This is where Jesus literally came in and, and, you know, sat down there and made that whip and and kind of what we would say freaked out. And he started turning over the money changers tables and all that because they were stealing from the people. And what they were stealing was money that was going to go to the temple, going to go to God. And they were stealing it by selling them, oh, your sheep, it's got a flaw in it. I'm sorry. 
You'll have to buy one of our sheep. And the prices were all jacked up and all this kind of stuff because, you know, sheep to sacrifice couldn't have a flaw. So Jesus got totally upset and started throwing over tables and all this stuff. It's kind of over in this area over there on the left-hand side. And you see all those colonnades and uh, columns that go down. And this was called Solomon's Colonnade. And this guy, I mean, you know, this is so visual. This guy who hasn't walked in 40 years, he's been running around leaping. He's probably totally out of breath by now. He's probably just totally hanging on, (laughs) you know, just hanging on to the guys. But he's not going to let them go. He doesn't want to sit down. And he doesn't want to let these guys go. I mean, he's going to be right there by their side. Right there by their side. Verse 12, it says, When Peter saw this, he said to them, and you will see Peter preach, and, you know, at every opportunity that he gets now. He will irritate so many people because he will take every opportunity. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? People are coming to the temple twice a day to worship God. And who are they looking at? Peter and John. They were missing the one who literally had the power that they were supposed to be coming to worship. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. All the prayers. And when God does something, what do they look at? Who do they look at? They look at man. And Peter says, let me tell you who did this. Verse 13, he goes on and says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. In, it is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. What a neat sentence there. Breathe that a few times this week. That says it all. In in Jesus' name, and the faith that comes through him that has given him, or given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. By faith in the man named Jesus. Verse 17 says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that you may sin, sin, but that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now this is great. Do you know what Peter is doing? He's offering grace to the very crowd who two months ago called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, now, not every person was there that was at the crucifixion, but he's offering that grace. He's going, you guys called for him to be crucified, and he can save you. This is grace here. No limits and no bounds. Those who screamed, crucify him, are now receiving it. Peter sounds just like who? Jesus on the cross. That's who he sounds like. Do you remember what Jesus said? Father, 
Forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Peter is saying, you have acted in ignorance. You blew it. You didn't recognize the Christ. You misunderstood the law and you killed him. And he is offering grace now. Repent and your sin will be forgiven. You know, there are those in this room today who think, I can't have a deeper relationship with God. I can't. Because I have sinned too much. God can't forgive me now. I can only go so far. I can only, you know, I pray to Him, but I, he, He's really not going to bless me because of things that I've done in my life. And now you're living in condemnation because of sin that happened so long ago. Now, I, I mentioned abortion earlier. Maybe that's your past and, and you know, it's keeping you down. But Jesus is the author of life. He can forgive you. He can forgive us of any sin that ever happens in our life. When we get to a point of of going, Lord, I recognize this. And he goes, I forgive you, son. I forgive you, daughter. That's what his grace does for us. And for those of us who have a big sin in our past, Jesus can forgive us. And we sometimes need to be reminded that grace can cover that sin. Or we will continue to live thinking, this is all I get from God because of what I've done. You know, if grace is offered to these people, these people who screamed, crucify him, who said, let the robber go, let the murderer go, but crucify Christ, if grace can be offered to them, then it can also be offered to us. And how do we receive grace? How do we receive it? We repent. We change our mind. Metanuos. We change our mind. The Bible is very clear. How do we receive Jesus? We change our mind about who He is. We recognize Him for what He is. And we start to, to turn. And that mercy and that grace shows up by a truckload. He says, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. How beautiful these words are from Jesus. You know, good parenting says... That when your child is truly repentant, then you let them know. And as a good parent, you will give them mercy and grace. And as a parent, you should always have unconditional love. But forgiveness comes after they are truly, truly sorry. Not sorry that they got caught but sorry that they did it in the first place. Man, we're really good at, man, I, I got caught. Oh, therefore, I'm sorry. No, what we're sorry for are the consequences. We're not sorry for what we actually did. See, repentance is the idea that I would feel just as bad if no one else knew about it. And then we turn from our sin. And we get the same promise that Peter gave them. We get the Holy Spirit in our lives. We get the power and the power that that, that we can change our life to the life that we should be living. And our life as Christians start to change. We won't want the drugs for those that have gone to that. Or the pornography. Or the cheating on my mate. Or the looking, you know, to, to feel good from others or the lying to, to my parents, or those I love, or the cheating on my time clock at work. 
these sayings do not fulfill us anymore like they ever really did in the first place. And we start to agree with God about life. I repent of my judgmental attitude about everything. That's what we start to do. We start to look at our lives and go, man, I really need to repent of this thing. Whatever the big sin issue is in our life, and we all have one or two of those, don't we? We all have sin. You know, this grace was not even for those that were walking with the Lord at all. And the Lord's sitting there going, you're already walking with me. I'm going to bless you even more when you recognize it. And we say, Lord, I repent, and we start to change our direction because we want to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, he goes on and says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet, or raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on have spoken, uh, or from Samuel on, as many as have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Though your offspring, or through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter's telling that to some of the guys who started the first church. Some of the guys that said, crucify him, are turning their lives over to God and getting that promise, that the, the promise of the covenant of God. You know, this is what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to turn from our wicked ways. Let's pray for the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to turn from the wicked things that have been that we've been hiding from everyone. And sometimes not so much hiding. Sometimes they're right there in the open. We need to turn from those. Just as Peter asked, or just as Peter told them, you will receive the grace of Jesus Christ. When we turn from the things that are go against God, we receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, there are sins in all of our lives. And you understand that and you know that and you're willing to forgive. But for some of us sitting here, Lord, there's a bigger sin that's keeping us from moving forward in relationships, a sin that's keeping us from from moving forward in a relationship with you. And I pray that you bring that to the forefront of our minds. And that you say to us, that we start to understand and we get the feeling that that you're right there saying, I can forgive you of that. All you have to do is ask. Lord, I pray that you allow your Holy Spirit to work in the lives of of us this week. To point out the things that are are wicked. Anything that goes against you, Lord, is wicked. And we, we look at it as minor things, but you look at it and say, no, that is not of me. I pray that when you bring that to our minds, that we turn from those and look to you and say, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine down upon you. May He never turn His grace and His mercy from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.